You're listening to Tooth Be Told. For the latest updates, like our SPIU Alberta Facebook page and follow us at SPIU Alberta on Instagram. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Tooth Be Told podcast. I'm Ying and I'm joined by Nick. Hey everyone, happy to be back. And before we start today's podcast, we just wanted to say a quick congrats to DDS 2022 class for graduating, as well as best of luck to the fourth year dental hygiene who are writing their board exams later this month. So congrats to all of you on being done. Um, And in our episode this month, we're really excited to have a great prosthodontist and one of our well-known instructors here at the U of A, Dr. Bernard Linke. Uh, Dr. Linke is here to shed light on his career and share with us all the details about fixed prosthodontics that we don't know. No pressure, Dr. Linke. Uh, Thanks for joining us today. And uh, would you like to start off by just giving a quick intro about yourself? Uh, In terms of my professional side or personal side? Oh, so I, can I, I, can, I, I can give you both. So, yeah, married to the same uh, uh, person, uh, and we're still best friends for over 40 years. And my wife and I had four kids. They're all doing well, and six grandkids who are just real joys to us. And uh, so that's the personal side of it. The professional side is uh, I did my undergraduate training here at the U of A and did my dentistry here, then went into private practice for three years, sold that practice, went to the University of Washington, did my prosthodontic, perioprosthodontic program there. Then we weren't sure whether we'd move back from the coast or not, so I associated with some prosthodontists in Vancouver for two years and then moved back to Edmonton and opened my own practice in prosthodontics and been here since, well, being here, period, and then um, moved on later on in my career towards the end of it to teach at the school maybe 10, 11, 12 years ago. Oh, nice. So I guess we'll start off with one of the things you kind of mentioned there. What drew you to prosthodontics in the first place? Well, that's an interesting question, and I actually really don't know. Uh, I don't have a defined, like, uh, I always, uh, you know, wanted to do this or that. In fact, it's interesting because prosthodontics is sort of very finicky work. All my patients have always thought my hobbies would be stuff like, you know, putting sailboats together in bottles or something like that in my off time. And I say, no, no, that's the last thing I want to do. But uh, yeah, I think it's just the process. It's a process of, uh, you know, in terms of procedure involves multiple steps. Um, and I, I, I actually like doing procedures over a period of time. Like I was quite happy to prep teeth for two and a half, three hours. I actually, uh, I like those periods of times of my day. Uh, and then it, there's the other aspect of it is that you, you really get to see your work, you know, with patients and, and their appreciation of it. And that's kind of a, a positive and a negative because it's very subjective. Uh, so the more you know, the more, you know, it's like with students, we're trying to give you as many principles as possible so that you do it as close to the, as good as you can, I guess, because it becomes complicated when patients are unhappy with something and you've kind of done the best you can. And so that, that side of it um, is, uh, is rewarding because uh, when patients, you know, look at with their mirror at what you've done and 
they're very appreciative of it. But it's always a little, you know, tense time, which is kind of interesting because I, I, as growing up, I always hated to like read my essay in front of the class or doing anything. And then now here I went into especially where every day it's okay, Mrs. Jones, what do you think of this? And they take their mirror and, you know, it's like, I'm reading my essay in class. And uh, so generally it's, and it's one of the things that I like about my specialty that uh, once you understand all the principles and get good at that, then even if they're looking and saying, oh, I really not sure if I like that. And say, okay, what is it? You can work your way out of it and help them get to the point where um, they appreciate what you're doing. And that's usually the case. Yeah, for sure. No, that sounds awesome. And I guess we know that uh, sailboat making isn't your hobby. A little side note, uh, would you want to share some of your hobbies with us? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I love sports. So, you know, golfing and, and all of those kind of things are really the things that I, I would prefer to do on my own. I used to, you know, play piano. That's a long time ago. So I, that's not an adult hobby, but it's always one that when I'm done teaching at the school, I think I might go back to. So, but don't envision that I'm a piano player. I'm not, I can play the scale, but it would take a little while to get up to actually being able to play something decent. But anyway, it's, it's really more sports orientated. I, I you know, prosthodontics is so finicky. That's the last thing I want to do is just do a little intricate hobby. So, so no uh, knitting and quilting for me. Yeah, none, none for us either. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess we'll go back to more about your career here. Uh, When you were working in private practice um, as a prosthodontist, what were some of the most common types of procedures that you were doing? So once it when I first graduated, like my our pre- training in my, the program I was in is really a period pros program. So we did all of our classes were with the periodontists and clinics and uh, a periodontists as well as prosthodontics, even though the specialty is prosthodontics that we have or I have. Um, so I, I really didn't go down the pathway of involving a lot of periodontics, like doing my own crown length and things like that, because I got busy pretty fast, actually. Uh, and what I did was I basically did everything when I graduated out of prosthodontics, you just because you don't have very many patients. So somebody had dentures, partials, uh, fixed prost TMJ work. I did a lot of TMJ work, uh, and, but my passion was fixed prosthodontics and Early, when you think of when I graduated out of prosthodontics in the early 80s, that's really when Branamark uh, started, published his studies on implants and the success rate in, in Sweden and where it just first started here in North America. And I remember I took, it would have been the second uh, sessions that they ever had in Toronto and that was like 1985 or something like that. So implants were just kind of starting and then, and it really was a prosthodontic oral surgery field. And then it started expanding from there. But so I, I got so many referrals for implants and very early and it just kept on growing and growing so implants were a big part of my practice I mean I I've literally restored thousands of implants and so it was an interesting time period because initially you know now the the standard of where we expect an implant to be placed and the quality of it and the position of it was very different then we were just happy that something stayed in bone and so quite frankly the skills of the oral surgeons although they won't like me saying this uh, we got implants in all sorts of angles and positions and, and 
and and as a prosthodontist, you really got good at fixing problems, you and your technicians. So, but that was early on, and now it's become you know, pretty straightforward. They, everybody's gotten better at placing them. You've got much more information and the restorative components we have have made life a lot easier. So that I guess is kind of my, and then he, over time, I just start dropping things I didn't really want to do or, or, you know, I quit doing TMJ work and I kind of stopped doing removable work just because I was so busy and booked so far ahead that I ended up just doing fixed prosthodontics and implants the last probably 20 years of my career, 15 years or so. Oh, cool. That makes sense. So you touched on a little bit. Um, would you be able to go in a bit more detail about the program that you were at there at the University of Washington and what your experience was like there, how you ended up there in the first place? It was hard. <laughs> it really was hard. <laughs> like, uh, because uh, I remember that, what got me going there was in my fourth year, two, uh, Dr. Morgan and Dr. Sneezewell came back from grad school. So they were all really intense, you know, and showing all this stuff. And I can re remember sitting in my fourth year watching this wax up because they did all their own lab work and watching the three point contacts on every cusp of everything, doing all their own work and thinking, I never want to do that. And it's funny how thing, things evolve. And, and um, so through their influence and seeing kind of wanting to start doing that stuff. And I started enjoying my clinical work uh, in terms of fixed prosthodontics. And as the both like Dr. Morgan, you know, noticed I had an interest in it. I ended up doing some really interesting big case, cases in my senior year. And having a great mentor like that, that, that turned the corner for me. Uh, but grad school was hard. I mean, it, 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 you know, it was, it's really at that time was a two-year program, but it usually took three years. But when I got there, I had sold my practice, stock market crashed, finances were really tight it just you know we had a five-month-old baby and and my life was uh leave at seven in the morning stay at school the whole day come home at five have supper and go back to the lab from seven till eleven and do lab work and do it all over again you know pretty much six days a week and then on sunday do lit review because we had about usually had about two or three hundred pages of articles to to review and be ready to critique on monday morning and, and yeah, so it, it, it is what it is. I, I, I don't know that I could do it now. And I don't think they're quite that intense anymore. Um, they, they, they spread it out a bit, but it is, it's a big commitment, but it was great. It was a perioprost program. We worked with the periodontist, did our own, uh, you know, crown lengthening surgery. Now it would be different, right? You know, if, if you're looking for a graduate program and interestingly, I've had three uh, students now that, have gone through the whole program since I've been here that actually have gone into PROS programs that are at various stages. And one just got finished actually from the University of Washington. And they're different now. Now you're going to place implants. Like I wouldn't choose a graduate program if it's a PROS program if you weren't able to place implants. That's where that world is. Anyway, I'm kind of getting off track there. Yeah, no, that was great. Um, and this leads us into our next question really nicely. In your opinion, what do you think are the pros and cons of specializing? We can, you can give us kind of like a general one and, or, and also um, one specific to the program that you went through as well. Yeah. 
I think the pros are, I, I like the idea of knowing in quotes the, everything about a subject. You obviously don't, but, but have a deep dive in it and be really good at something and control the variables, you know, versus as a general dentist, you kind of need to be good at everything, but you're not going to really likely uh, have a handle on every subject, maybe some that you're a little more interested in. And so that suited my personality better than, uh, uh, and the other thing for me, it's one of the reasons I, I, that if, there's certain things you like to do as, as an individual and others you don't. I never really liked working with on children. So that was one part of it. I found it stressful in spite of winning the whatever eight Cummings or whatever the award was for children, dentistry and fourth year, the gold medal. It was like when I got out, it was, I found it so stressful. You know, these, you never knew how the kid was going to react. Anyway, uh, that was one of the reasons I never really had to work on kids as a prosthodontist. Um, the cons are, you know, depending on what stage you are. So here after three years, my practice is going along, I'm making money, I'm doing, I'm having lots of fun. Da, da, da. Now you've got to give that up. You've got to, you know, move away from that, go back to being a student um, and start from ground one. And the, you can also become envious because after a period of time, you're coming back and you're a student, you, you just graduate, you watch all your friends, everybody's moved along in their lives, they've they bought a house and they've got this and that. And so you got to work through that. That's just reality. Um, and, you know, we're all kind of prone to that a little bit. And so it's one of those things where you really, I think, really need to know yourself and know that you really want to do this. And then I, you work through it. And, and on the other end, I think it's real positive. So uh, no specific cons. Mm. makes sense makes sense yeah i mean even in second year now i think a lot of us are like oh, i don't know so it's it's interesting i guess we have time so it should be good um so when you uh i guess eventually then came back here and started running your own clinic or your own prosthodontic clinic can you kind of talk about the dynamic of that and how different that was running your own prosthodontic clinic versus a general practice clinic yeah, the prosthodontic practices are harder to get going, I think, than most specialties. Um, because most of the cases you're going to see are a little more difficult, and most of them need time. You need to have phase one, phase two done. So it's not <laughs> like all the things we talk about that you have to do as students, you definitely have to have them done. And and often you're not doing them, or you're you're referring them out, whether it's for crown lengthening, orthodontics. And so it takes a while to build the practice up. Although I haven't talked to the prosthodontists in Edmonton, even the people who just graduated, they're all doing well. So you, 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 it just takes longer to set up versus a general practice. If you buy one, you're kind of busier right away or if you're associating. Um, and then really, in my opinion, prosthodontics, you need a lab technician. And so very early on, I set up my own lab and I had three. At one point, I had actually four technicians just doing my work because you're busy. Um, but I always had three technicians. But you start with one. 
And uh, so you need to set that up. And that's another component of which you don't have to really deal with in general dentistry. So uh, that's an aspect that uh, is different than just having a general practice. Yeah. And in your opinion, what is the most important thing to look for when looking for a lab or a lab technician? Yeah, I mean, I think they, you know, they have to have skill, obviously, uh, but you really want somebody who's paying attention to detail uh, and obviously somebody you trust because, you know, once you cement the crown, it's yours. And so you have to deal with anything that goes wrong and everything is, is expensive to redo. So fortunately, most of our things last. Uh, the interesting thing is, as time goes on now, with the, all the different CAD cams and digital dentistry, the technician, um, you actually get really good work without a great technician, because the machine is milling it for you based on some algorithm that is and they've got this design to it and the materials are getting so incredibly good. The, you know, the zirconium materials, whether you have the transitioned ones, all the rest of it, it's, it's, it's changing uh, in that regard. But yeah, no, I think you really, and, and I've mentioned this before, I think a real, a big aspect of, of getting really good work back is that you do good work. You know, because if you're doing lousy work and you're not getting good impressions to the technicians, you don't have all the information there. You know, you're 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 using words like, well, just do the best you can when they phoned you and said they can't see the finish line. So those are the kind of things that get you moved down the list in terms of the technician you'll get into in, in any laboratory. So uh, I think as your standards are higher, you'll have higher demands of your technician. And if he doesn't meet him, you'll find somebody who will, you know, and that you may have to pay a little bit more money, uh, but in the end for that person's work, but you will be happier with it. So if you, the other thing as a dentist, if you're going for the lowest denominator from a, a lab a billing perspective, then don't expect the best work. I mean, it takes time, you know, having done all of our own lab, my own lab work, you know, through grad school, you see how long these things take to, to get them done. It's getting better with our materials. I understand that. But still, there's a component that they're running a business and, and, and be fair to the technicians. Again, you'll get a great technician. If something goes wrong and you know it's your fault, don't ask the technician to redo it for free. You know, come up with some, you know, just let's say it doesn't fit in the mouth and you try it on your impression and fit or on your cast that you took and it fits. That's your fault. You didn't do a good impression. And again, those things speak volume. So if, 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 if you treat your technicians who are skilled, uh, if they are skilled and you've settled on with them and treat them fairly, they'll go to the extra mile for you. You'll get great work. Yeah, that makes sense. No Mickey Mouse dentistry, right, Dr. Linky? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you got it. You got it. <laughs> so what, you did kind of touch on this a little bit. Um, but sort of, I'd love for you to hear sort of your opinion on how you've seen prosthodontics change over time with things like scanners and 3D printers and laser and sort of all the new sort of age technology. How have you seen the field change in your time? I think it's fantastic. I, I, I actually think it's going to get, it's getting easier all the time. It's getting easier to do uh, high level aesthetic work, high level aesthetic work that 
you know, if I could redo all the restorations I did with PFMs in the anterior, now with all ceramics, the results would be uh, so much better and so much easier to provide. Um, so even though our patients' aesthetics demands are really keep going up, well, it's because we can deliver it. And so as a general dentist, you'll be able to, you know, as you get confident with the, the different choices of materials, you'll be able to do some really uh, excellent um, uh, aesthetic work um, with not the kind of complications we had in the past. So if you're doing, let's say, four anterior crowns, you're doing with a PFM, you had to be really careful because you have to touch that, tuck that finish line just below the tissue and make sure there's no recession because if they see a line there, well, that you, that's not going to work. Well, now you just have to be at the gingival level and they, all the, you know, if you have all ceramic materials, it'll blend in. So it, it just becomes easier to deliver the work and the materials are so much more forgiving. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's going to get easier all the time. It's expensive though, right? So, so in terms of as you're setting it up, uh, you know, where you need a scanner and you need all the different components to it to deliver digital dentistry, I think it gets uh, more expensive. Um, uh, you know, there's certain aspects where I think we are downgrading our quality for the sake of expediency. So you, yes, and maybe you can deliver a CAD CAM restoration, uh, you know, within a couple hours. But if that restoration is a little more complicated I know it's not going to fit as good if it's milled versus if you take an impression and and press it uh, at this stage anyway with where we are uh, so those you know so do you do it in a day or do you do it you know uh, analog wise so you got to be careful that you don't you know turn your practice into I am an only a scanning CAD CAM practice those things always make me nervous because uh, it, it, nothing is always one way or the other, but if you combine the both and you'll be able to, uh, there's so many things you can do. So like just the things you don't like doing as students, you know, you, I know you don't like do PMMA provisionals. Well, now if you have a scanner, you can mill them. You just mill, you mill the provisional, you know, and, and, and to rely a mill or rely on a mill provisional, or I'm sure as it go along, you're going to just scan it and mill it in you know, and you'll have it milled and you'll fit it on, you know, so there's those kind of things that, that as everything is evolving is just going to get easier and easier to do for you guys and do more complicated things that probably in the past, yeah, you might not have handled or tackled. Thank goodness, PMMA. I will get easier. <laughs> you love, oh, yeah, you love PMMA. Come on. <laughs> um. I loved it the first time around, but maybe when I tried to make, I don't know, third one, um, the love was huh, not really there anymore. But um, so switching it up now, we know that uh, you've left private practice and are working at the school. Can you talk a little bit about your decision to come to the school and kind of your timeline with the school here? Okay. So, um, you know, I, I kind of feel like I moved from a positive to a positive. So I, I didn't move from I'm unhappy with practice or my practice is doing well. I actually, my practice was on a high when I left. I was booked months ahead doing whatever I wanted and certainly financially very rewarding. But I was at the point, so this was 2010, I think. So finances were not a factor for me because I sort of didn't 
well, you never can't say I didn't need the money, but basically I could have lived off the money I had uh, at, at that point in time. So it wasn't a financial, in fact, it took very much a negative decision to come to school financially. <laughs> I don't think I, I'm glad I didn't do it when I just started practice and went straight to the school because the, the, the differences in terms of income at the university versus the private practice are very significant. So that wasn't an issue. I, I just felt like I could make a difference. Like I, I felt, you know, I've got all this knowledge, all this experience. Um, I've had a great practice. I, I wanted a little more flexibility. Like the, I've spent my whole life, you know, walking into my office, seven o'clock patient, uh, Technicians asking me questions, seeing patients from 7.30, boom, 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 till the end of the day. That's the life of a dentist. That's just the way it is. You know, a school is different in that regard. Um, you know, so it's not like, you know, there's times that are very busy, very intense, but there's also, you know, like I don't have to be at the school at 7.30 if I don't have something that I'm, you know, I can, the negative side of that with the schools, you can work 24 and 7 because there's always something to do and, and you know, just it's ongoing. Uh, but anyway, I, I felt like I could give something back. And so that was the reason I came and I um, started. Uh, the actual intention was not really to work with undergrad. It was to actually start a period grad program and a, a prosthodontic grad program. However, there seemed to be a lot of gaps um, because of historical understaffing of the restorative vision. So um, I started in that area and I really could never get the period grad program, process rather, process grad program going. Uh, just didn't have the time. And then now time has run out. It's past the time for me to take on a project like that. Uh, so that was the main reason. Yeah. So I, I, I don't regret that decision at all. Yeah. No, thanks. I mean, I know as undergrad students, we've loved having all of like the pros, like, I feel like we have so many great professors helping us all the time in the lab and stuff. So no, we're definitely lucky. Um, and I end up kind of on that note too, about the lab and maybe a selfish question, because we're the ones that are going to be doing this soon, but what advice would you give to students as they make the transition from lab into the clinic? Um, I mean, it's always uh, unnerving, right? You know, you're going from just plastic to people, but uh, uh, I, I would, which I've mentioned before, I honestly think you're, if you really want to be successful, because it makes you become intentional, that no matter what you're doing for that clinic, you do a checklist. So you, you think, oh, I'll do a checklist when I'm doing a bridge or a cry. No, just do a checklist every day that you're going to do. It reinforce and you know, the first thing you're going to do, even if it's as simple as saying, uh, you know, something remind you. Let's say you're not a, a you're a student who isn't a big talker. You're kind of a quiet person. Well, your first reminder is be friendly to my patient or whatever. Something talk to my patient. To bring something that you know up about them. It reminds you to do those things, you know, and then go step by step by step. If you do that, it, I you will be so much more organized. You'll be so, so much more successful and you'll do it in a quicker time period. Because when you think of like, you know, when you guys see, you know, I prepped 14 teeth and you say, well, how did you do that? You know, in that short period of time? Well, all, all it is, is the same thing. 
you know, it's not that I, I, I mean, I quit making checklists, you know, after a period of time, but in your mind, it's a checklist. You're just moving from one thing to the other, one thing to the other, one thing to the other, because your hand and brain are working together to know where you're going. But when you haven't done that in a clinic setting with a person and a patient there and all the pressures that are there, uh, that's what I would do. I, I would do that. And I think that'll make a, a, a big difference. The other thing, you're, you know, all of the instructors are very much here to help. You know, I mean, we have to do lots of evaluation, but really, all of us instructors, that's our least favorite part. Our most favorite part is when you're talking to somebody and they're asking you questions and you're, you're giving them feedback that's helping them become better. And I think there's missed opportunities by students to just ask for information. So for example, uh, let's say you're somebody who you're finding a lot of your patients aren't going ahead with your treatment, then ask, say, ask one of your instructors, your CC instructor, process, whoever, just listen to how I present my treatment plan. Tell me what I'm doing that you, you think I shouldn't do, you know, uh, or the good things I'm doing, and you'll just get better at it. I mean, that's a big part of it, right? Like you could be out there and be the absolute best technical dentist uh, out there and be very unsuccessful because patients are reading you wrong. You're, you know, and I think if somebody is a real quiet person who rarely talks, you need to get out of that shell and work your way out of that because it's it's a it's a you can be a learned behavior, just so that you 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 present yourself in a positive manner to the patients or at least they perceive to be, you know, like I, you know, it never ceases to amaze me how uh, we tend to forget that a person a patient is is. Uh, perceiving what we're saying to them very differently. And just think the last time you've went in and had your car fixed or something and the person just rattling off what they're doing, you're nodding your head. Like you understand. Well, at least for me, cause I don't know anything about cars. It's like, yeah, whatever. Okay. You know? And so I, patients are kind of like that as well. You know, we actually see that with students where you guys are nodding your head. And then when you ask a few questions, you realize no, they, they don't understand it. You know, I've got to come from a little different angle here. <laughs> um, let's see, was there anything else? Uh, yeah, the other thing is, which will make you protect you long-term, learn how to document well. I, I noticed that as actual a weakness in the, in, the, in the clinic in this sense. Like you'll document what you did, but document the things let's say your instructor is there and they said well you know you do have some tmj problems and one of the risks is when, when we place the implants you're gonna have to open really wide and that could make your tmj more sore okay so i'll have said that but you as a student should document that patient informed that one of the risk factors so as you get used to doing that um and you guys are so good at, at typing things down i would just be i don't I'd be typing everything out. My daughter, who, who's a physician, she said to me, dad, I, I am so good at typing because uh, that was one of her jobs. As they were, I, both of them, both, well, I don't know if the boys did, but both the girls did. They would type up my reports all the time. And so they got really good at, at, at typing and that stood them in steed. And you guys are all, I think, pretty good at that sort of stuff. So your hands are just flying on that keyboard. Well, that would be a great way as they're talking, just type the stuff down, you know? Anyway, that's kind of my little, you know, small little way I think you could be successful. The technical stuff you learn, you know, and be prepared in the clinic. If you like the implant clinic, I have no problem 
with any student who, who doesn't know what to do. It's just if you're not prepared, you don't even know what you're supposed to do that day. Well, that you can know. You can have made a little checklist and the rest. In fact, in the implant clinic, I don't, I want you to tell me what you don't know because <laughs> we want to help you. So yeah, get the most out of your instructors. Yeah, that was really great. Um, kind of puts us a little bit at ease more uh, going into the clinic now. And definitely, I will definitely have a checklist for every <laughs> single day. <laughs> um, and now I guess like switching back almost, um, what is the most interesting case that you have ever done for a patient? Uh, I'm not sure. You know, you do so many different ones that are really pleasing aesthetically, but I, I think they're generally the ones that have been most appreciated by patients uh, are the ones where I've taken somebody who has no teeth and is wearing dentures to with implants, giving them teeth back. Those patients are incredibly appreciative of the work you've done because they've gone from being lacking confidence because these dentures are slipping in their mouth. Uh, they're uh, having difficulty chewing or whatever. And so those are the kind of patients that would routinely over the years and recalls say how grateful they are for the work that was done. But if I had to pick one case, I would say it's one that I just presented to the first years on amelogenesis imperfecta, uh, just because of the significant difference it made for that individual. Um, a full mouth reconstruction uh, in on many levels, and also for how, because these things are expensive. So how difficult it was for her to work her way through the finances and did. And so anyway, it, it was, it's one person of the thousands of people I've treated that I do remember. Mind you, it maybe it's just that I presented last week. So that's why I remembered. I no idea. But right now that's my favorite as of today. <laughs> No, that's fair. I know for us, it is really neat to see like case presentations. I feel like you can learn so much just seeing sort of the process through. So yeah, no, those are really neat. Now switching it up a little bit. And I almost have to ask this as a hockey fan. And um, I know your son-in-law is a hockey player and you've done some work on him. Could you kind of tell us a little bit like what that's been like being able to do work like that? It's, you know, it's like, any other work, um, certainly like, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's a little more notoriety as Sam because he played for the Oilers and all of that that goes with it. So the, the dental work was no really different. I, I was really like I presented, uh, do I present it as case to you at all or? Yeah. 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 So uh, <laughs> his, uh, the, the neat thing about that one was the, the, the bite registration plate that I made in case he broke his jaw. You know, that, that how well that worked, that was, um, that the, the final result was amazing considering where he started from. And so that was just a simple little thing that was done that made a huge difference for, uh, for the surgery to get everything lined up. So yeah, yeah, that's it. And it's, I mean, like all of our, I'm very fortunate, all the kids got sort of interesting things they do. And um, yeah, it's just uh they brought a lot of joy to my wife and I. That's awesome. I had to ask as a hockey fan. Couldn't... Oh, yeah. I mean, it's fun. It's, we've had lots of fun with that. <laughs> I've met a lot of hockey players over the years, and they're just like you. 
They're just normal guys. Uh, I don't normal know. guys. I don't think I think me and Connor McDavid have some differences. If I had to... <laughs> but you sit down, you have supper or something with them. And they're just guys. They're just just guys. That's all they are. Yeah, yeah that's fair. <laughs> all right. Our podcast recording is coming to an end here. So we're on our very last question. Um, And I think uh, it might be one that um, a few people are wondering. Um, Lastly, what advice do you have for anyone who wants to specialize in prosthodontics or maybe is thinking about it for the future? Yeah, how about if I answer it in a different way, just as somebody who's... (laughs) have a lot of years behind him uh, more from a point of how would I suggest or how I view being successful. So often we view success in stages right now. You, you success is just finishing that course and finishing that and that and graduating. So those are important things, but underlying those are <clears throat> choices that will have lifelong effects on true life success. So it's one thing to be successful dentally and have a great practice, make lots of money, make patients happy and all of that. But your personal life is in shambles. And so I I just think it's really important to keep in mind through this whole process, starting in dental school too, that life is more than than dentistry. It's more than uh, making money. It's more on many levels. Uh, And so I view it as so as humans, we're sort of, there's three components to us. You know, there's this, this body side. So it, you should take care of yourself. You know, like I, I have terrible posture. I would fail Kilostoff's ergonomics course. <laughs> but I think because I, I, you know, I've always worked out and stayed in shape. I, I really don't have any back problems in spite of, you know, bending over patients for hours. A day. So I think that's important. And then your soul side, enjoy life. I mean, it's tough when you're dental school. I understand everything is so focused. So you're worn out and whatever. But as life moves along, there's so many more things than just grinding it out day in, day out in your practice. And then, you know, you'll have to figure your spiritual side out. I mean, for me, Christianity is an anchor. But for, you know, everybody's got to figure these things out for themselves. And if you kind of view it like that, in however you want to categorize those I think you'll end up, uh, you know, at my age and look back and say, you know, I'm really happy with the choices I made. I've I've got, you know, I'm still, my wife is my best friend and I, you know, things, kids like each other and they get along and, uh, you know, it's all those kind of things that I think really in the end would make all the difference in terms of being successful. Right now, your focus as students is very different. I understand that. I mean, success is very week to week, but uh, keep that in mind long-term. And I think you guys will do great. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, I know. Sometimes it is, like you said, when you're a student, you're so focused, but it's nice to sort of take a step back and look at things from a bigger perspective. So yeah, no, that's, that's awesome. Awesome advice. All right. Good way to end. Yeah. Really good way. (laughs) (laughs) awesome well thank you so much doctor thank you for joining us that was so much fun thank you happy to have done it thank you for being on the podcast uh this will be our uh, second last podcast of the year for everybody uh and i just wanted to thank all of our audience for staying with us uh during our pilot year as we 
kind of work things out and try to figure out uh, what is some good content to produce. Yeah. So I just want to thank all the listeners and yeah, that concludes today's episode. Uh, Thank you everybody. And thank you, Dr. Linky.